Lost Creek serves as a daily reminder of that legacy that I come from, as well as the legacy that I am trying to leave for my family right now and my future family. We try to instill that in the rest of our team as well, in the buildings that we build. We want these buildings to last. Legacy is that core value that just reminds us of, of what we're trying to do. We're trying to build something bigger than just, just homes. Welcome to episode 160 of the AFT Construction Podcast. And today we have Tom Trithall with us, who is the owner and president of Lost Creek Construction in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I love this episode with Tom. He really got into legacy, right? Like uh, how that plays uh, such an important role in your brand, in your product, in your company culture. More importantly, as you're starting to think about that sales process, you know, from experience to also understanding the product you're selling and who you're selling to and how all of those elements really refine our business and our processes and systems and the roles that we put our people in and how title can play a role in that. And so much great information about the building process, building a company, moving from Louisiana to Colorado, the complexity that comes with that. So without further ado, let's get started. This past May, we had an amazing Contractor Coalition Summit. This was in Nashville with Nick Schiffer from Menace Builders and Morgan Molitor from Construction of Style out of Minnesota. And we are now up for our second round of the Contractor Coalition Summit that'll be in Huntington Beach from Sunday, November 6th through Wednesday, November 9th. Go to ContractorCoalitionSummit.com, sign up, register. We have some amazing partners that'll be there sponsoring the event, amazing attendees that have already signed up. It's limited seating. We're only allowing 30 to attend. And again, this will be all things pricing, profitability, contracting, client expectations, scheduling, and of course, marketing and social media. Everything that we wish we knew in our business from the very beginning is all going to be wrapped up into just a couple of days. So we'll see you there in Huntington Beach in November. So I'm Brad Levitt, AFT Construction. We have a great guest with us today, Tom Tritha. Welcome, Tom. Thank you, Brad. It's an honor. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. So Tom is president and owner of Lost Creek, and we've been connected for a while now uh, through social media at the Builder events and uh, another Builder 20 guy, even though we're not really in the same Builder 20, but uh, we both sure benefit from our groups. Uh, it's one of those things that if I could go back and, and start over again, I would have joined a Builder 20 group seven or eight years earlier than I did. So, so it's funny. We talk, we've, we've spent some time on this. I've had a couple uh, of guys from my group and some others. We've talked about how long have you been in your Builder 20 group for? Um, not quite two years. And how, how did you join? Like, How did you even find them? So I actually knew about the Builder 20 um, group for quite a while. And I, I actually tried to reach out to a couple. I wasn't sure how to join. And, um, and then, you know, life got busy and I kind of forgot about it for a while. And it was, I guess, a little over two years ago, uh, Dan Duvall with, uh, Dan Duvall Builders in, in uh, Ohio, who you've had on before, reached out through social media. Uh, and just they were there in, in a transition period where they were losing a few members and looking to, to grow. Uh, he reached out through Instagram and um, we connected and uh, both Dan and Mike Connolly and I, uh, we joined at the same time through invitations from Dan. And so we had our first meetings together and went through the first financial review together. And uh, so it's been been good, but it's been a game changer for us, for sure. Well, it's interesting. I know one thing that you and I have spoken about, and I, you and I, we were even messaging messaging each other before the podcast here, 
And one of the things that was a common thread, at least for me in my career, and I know you said this too, is just that our industry is like lacking. Like it just, it's lacking uh, information, how to run a business. And this is why, not why I started the podcast. I mean, it seems that the podcast has kind of driven this way on business owners and not just related construction, but just other entrepreneurs in general, because the fact of the matter is we're business owners that happen to do construction. And that's something I didn't really understand, especially starting the business, right? You're just consumed in like, learning everything you can about building science or construction or, you know, we, it's a complicated business, but we don't understand how to run the business. And there's not really resources because you and I are competing for the same business, at least in our local markets. And that's where, you know, this is one of those few resource, resources that's out there for us. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, it's one of those things that I think, again, as I mentioned, is a game changer for that exact reason. For me, the Builder 20 has been, uh, you know, just... Uh, uh, having a, a resource of guys that have, you know, we have, we have everything. I feel like we have a pretty stacked group, so I feel pretty lucky to have been invited to that group. Um, but you, it's, you've got a board of directors basically that, you know, they've been through everything. We've got guys that, uh, in our group that one of them, Manetti custom homes is out of New Jersey celebrating 75 years in business this next year. Uh, just they've been through everything. And so having that, you know, just that group that you can go to and, Hey, I'm dealing with this and I don't know how to do it. Or I've got a client who's, you know, you know, handling something this way, any suggestions, you know, in addition to meeting twice a year, I know you've talked about on here before we have, we just came from our, our fall meeting in Wisconsin, but we also have a monthly zoom call. Uh, there's a email, you know, listserv type thing that we communicate almost on a daily basis. Somebody's asking a question or thrown out there. So it's just a huge resource for anything and everything, whether it's how to run the business. Uh, there was an email going around this last week just about, you know, somebody asked, what are your top, you know, what's, what's your top uh, favorite new um, item that you're putting in your homes, you know, trying to take our building to a new standard. And uh, so it's, it's just been super inspiring for me to just see how other organizations are run, how they're handling things. Everybody runs it a little bit different. And so you take the information and kind of adapt it to, to best suit your team. But it, you know, it's, an, it's definitely been an absolute um, blessing to participate. And you just uh, you, you become friends with everybody. You know, I was texting Mike with Greenside this weekend, asking about family. He's got a, you know, some daughters doing some amazing things. And um, so it's, it's really just a, a, you know, almost an extension of your family. And they care about you. They care about your business. They want you to be successful. And they're going to, they're going to hold you accountable as well. What I love about that, especially what you're saying there, Thomas, what's interesting is when I've attended the event, similar to you, I mean, we have the zoom meetings, which are great, you know, and we kind of check in with each other and all the time, like we have a group email and even a group text chain, right? So a question comes up or an issue, or, uh, maybe I know, I know one of our builders was asking like, Hey, I'm doing my first remodel. Do you have any remodel templates? And then fire away, like six people fire away stuff. Right. But the big thing is here's the reality. Like, Construction, I, I say so many times on podcasts, it's so tough, right? Running business is so difficult. Like we're dealing with so many issues, especially now. Like it's it's harder to build a house today than ever before. We're at risk all the time. But what I find is you get that bolt of energy, right? That charge. Like I go meet with the group and I'm like, I just feel like I'm here networking. Everyone's kind of dealing with similar issues to some extent. And it's never like a pity party. That's not what this is. It's like you're uplifting each other. Like, okay, here, here's how we're getting through this. Here's what we're doing and looking around corners. And I think specifically to me, and maybe think about this, like just some specific examples, how the group has helped you, Tom, is that 
I wasn't really sure, you know, we've moved all the cost plus. I didn't really know how to do that previously, right? And we had a couple of builders that do this exclusively. They sat down with my controller. They trained my whole team like for four hours on a call on how to do it and how they manage it. I mean, that information, it's like, where are you going to get that? Like anywhere. And I could hire business coaches or outside people, but how many of them are running a construction company that's doing 50 million a year that says, this is how we do it and we've been doing it. And that information like is just priceless, right? And similar to you is that I have a builder in my group, Richard Jaffa with Jaffa Group in Park City. And he's like in his 80s. I just, every time I go, I just sit by him because I get like 10 nuggets every conference because he just, he's been building for like 60 years from a house he did for like 15,000 to a house he did for like 26 million, right? And you just see this vast career. Yeah, for sure. That's, um, again, it's it's one of those things that you, you can't put a value on the education that you gain from these things. Um, just to share, you know, we just had ours two weeks ago, our last meeting and visited uh, Colby Construction, um, who's run by Pete Feitmeyer out of uh, Delafield, Wisconsin. And Pete's been an awesome resource. He's kind of one of those, you know, from the beginning, just uh, a huge mentor. He's offline. You know, we've we've shared things. He shared templates. He shared his company organizational structure, you know, that we talk about, you know, even just his growth. He's He's probably... 10, 15 years ahead of where I am right now or where I feel like I am right now. And yet, I mean, he sent me everything from uh, there. He's put me in touch with his controller, how to handle the accounting side of, of business, how to even, you know, that we have a, an annual financial review where everybody compares numbers and those numbers need to be accurate and for, for them to be helpful to the entire group. And so, you know, he's, he's been super, super helpful just you know, basically give you the shirt off his back kind of deal. And they just want, they want you to succeed. And it's like, you know, where else would you get that? You can't get it from a business coach. You can't get it from anybody. Um, and yet it's one of those things I've always admired him. And we were all just blown away. Uh, he took us on a tour of a home that they built. It's actually a couple of homes on the same, same property. And the level of execution, just everything it took us on a tour of his office, um, introduced us to his team, his office staff. So every element of it, of this last visit was totally inspiring. Um, on one hand, we, we did joke a little bit and uh, told them that we all felt like starter home builders. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys build some nice stuff too. To, uh, some of the stuff that we were seeing. And yet, again, it's, there's no, he's super humble about it. He's just um, sharing what got him there. And he, he was the first to tell him. I, I asked, you know, again, he's one of those mentors you just look to. And so I've asked him a few questions about you know, how did you get from where you were when you started with the group to now? And he shared some of those details. He said that after his very first meeting, he had to go back and basically fire his uh, controller because things weren't going well. And that was the first step for him. And then he, he attributes all of his success to participating in these Builder 20 groups. That's incredible. And and what's interesting, I mean, and, and we'll get into your backstory a little bit later, Tom, in the podcast, but you know, the reality is you, you broke off like all of us, you break off, you start your company, here you are. And there's so many pain points, right? Like there's just, you know, the, the failure is part of the process. Ideally we have, uh, relationships with other builders, social media has helped accelerate this, you know, podcasts. And there's a lot of forums now where we can help hopefully like kind of raise the industry to some extent. Where, where do you find information, training, whether it be scheduling, budgeting, pricing, 
client communication. I mean, all this stuff that goes into running a construction business before the builder 20. Um, I will say most of it is the school of hard knocks. (laughs) (laughs) So you're the same as me. So it's not just me that's out there. And at the same time, you're just like, man, why does it take me so long to do this? I, we can talk a little bit uh, later. I think we will. Um, my experience, I, I spent 10 years prior to going off on my own working for my father-in-law and that was invaluable experience. One of the things he always said, and, and it was a little bit more of the um, sink or swim method of, of teaching. I mean, I had a ton of opportunities and experiences working with him, and he was hugely influential in, in the success that I enjoyed today. And at the same time, one of the things he always repeated was, you know, do something, even if it's wrong. Don't worry, you'll never lose more money than I've lost in this industry. And I don't <laughs> want to lose money. I don't want to. I don't want to learn the hard way. And yet, at the same time, you do. And those are some of the most valuable lessons. And um, yeah, I've worked a little bit with Sean Van Dyke, who I know you you know mm-hmm. as well. And uh, I know Sean's been quoted as saying, "Is like don't don't look at it as losing money. It's your funding your research and development department. Yeah. And now you know paying for your college anymore. <laughs> so. Yeah." You're paying for your college. And the reality is, I mean, it, not only the investment in yourself and business and through the mistakes you make, but also you look at it. I mean, some of us have lost leaders, right? As common sales thing. You have, you know, Costco has their chicken that they lose money on. That everyone goes buy their rotisserie chicken, but then they're there and they're buying everything else. We have our lost leaders and projects that maybe didn't pan out, but the education, as long as we optimize that and learn from it and change that, right? Yeah. Let me but what's interesting about you, Tom, I mean, you speak about we're cooking for your father in law. So I almost want to call the timeout button when you said that because that, that's that's a tough relationship. You get married and then you're working for your father. I mean, wh- explain that dynamic, how that ended up working out. For sure. So it's it's actually, uh, I wish my wife was here because it's even <laughs> more funny to listen to her tell the story. Um, so she uh, grew up, my father-in-law is a second generation builder. His dad started a company called Spartan Building Corporation um, down in Louisiana, which is where my wife was born and raised and grew up. And, um. Anyway, so he, he started a company or worked with his dad. Um, and all my wife ever heard her entire childhood was never work for family. It wasn't the greatest experience for her dad. And, and just, you know, she was, kind of felt like she, it was just drilled into her. That, so her dad would always tell her don't work for family because he worked yeah, for his dad? he was working for, um, for her grandfather. Father. Yeah, his yeah father. her grandfather. And, you know, she, my wife actually worked a little bit in high school. And as she started college, worked there at the the family business. Um, so she, you know, she knew enough about it that she wouldn't even consider it. So I, I graduated with a degree in construction management. Uh, and um, it was just after the... Where at? Uh, Where did you go to school? Uh, so I was at BYU. Uh, what year were you there? I left officially in 2002. Okay. That's what, I don't think I've ever asked you that. Yeah, so I was I was a little younger. I think I joined the program 2003 or four, and then finished in 05. So I just okay. missed you. Yeah, so I um, technically left in 02. I finished in 03. Had a few independent study classes. <laughs> but uh, it, the the job market wasn't great um, at the time that I left. It was just after the uh, attack on 11. Yeah, a little bit of a yeah bubble. So I I had a couple of opportunities. And one of them was presented when we went down to visit um, my in-laws for Christmas that year. Her, my, my father-in-law offered me a job, and my wife was like, "No way! <laughs> we're not even, we're not even thinking about it." Back in I mean, Louisiana, 
Yeah. So it was to move back to Louisiana. Um, and I didn't recognize it at the time that I've you know, listened to your podcast enough to know that you've, you've been quoted a few times of saying, you know, you chase experience, not money. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where I just, I knew and felt like that was the best opportunity for me. Um, I'm a first generation builder from my, my side of the family. And yet, um, just felt like that would be an amazing opportunity. At the same time, I always knew that I wanted to go into business for myself. My father-in-law knew that I was more interested in residential construction, just my background. It's been a passion, something that I've always been interested in. And yet, so he offered me a job and couldn't get my wife to consider it. And so uh, we you know, talked about it for a while. I kept working on her a little bit at a time. Like, I really think this would be a good idea. You know, we're religious and wanted to make sure it was the right decision. I'm like, will you even just like pray about it? And she's like, no way. I know the answer. Eventually she came around and we, and we moved. Uh, so we ended up accepting that job and, and moved down to Louisiana. And that uh, definitely jump-started my career. It was one of those things, you know, and my father-in-law was very clear with the rest of the employees. I know he, he told me after I had been there for a little while, he told me that he pulled everybody else aside before I started. And he's like, look, the only reason I'm hiring this kid is because he's my son-in-law. <laughs> and, uh, so it didn't, you know, it didn't totally inspire a whole lot of self-confidence as I was starting, but it was one of those things that was just um, turned out to be invaluable. Invaluable. We've got a great relationship, um, and at the same time, we, you know, it's separating is tough. Um, it was one of those things that so I, I ended up working for ten years before I finally felt like it was time to go off on my own. And, and why was that? And I was curious, you know, the entrepreneurial side. I mean, you mentioned that your wife was hesitant, you know, before getting into what kind of triggered you saying, I'm ready on, to go off on my own. You know, relationship wise, you mentioned that the training was invaluable. You learned a ton working for your father in law and some of the advice he gave you. You know, how was the relationship good? Just understanding kind of your role in the company and how that played with just the family side? Yeah. Um, th- there were, I guess, a few different elements there. Uh, one of them was just, I don't know, there's, there's always been, even since I was young, I've always had this desire to create. And one of those things that I've always wanted to create is my own business. And so even stepping into a family business uh, there, in my, my brother-in-law was involved in the business as well. It was, it was always, I knew it was always going to be uh, you know, their, their family business. And I had this desire to create my own, but I also never, uh, when we first moved to Louisiana, I thought, you know, three to four years of experience and I'll be good to go. And at the same time, just never, you know, after three years, I was like, there's no way I'm ready. Um, And that was, you know, just something probably unique and personal to me. I wasn't, I was enjoying what I did. I had a, you know, great job. I was treated well, super comfortable work environment, um, loved the projects, loved the people on the team. And so it was a tough decision for sure. Um, And at the same time, I just always wanted to have something of my own that I could say, Hey, we, you know, this is something that I've created. And so that's, um, really what led to, uh, making that decision. I was actually, uh, you know, it was the beginning of the year 2012 that, you know, right around the first of the year, you're setting, setting goals for yourself and, and looking at the year ahead. And that was the first year where I was, you know, really starting to feel like, Hey, this could be time. And then I was actually sitting in a, in a church meeting and just between what the, the speaker was talking about and some thoughts that came into my mind, I was just like, you know what, it's, it's time. And, um, 
it was one of those things where because of the nature of the family relationship and, and making that decision, you know, I went home, we talked to my wife about it. We both felt good about some things. And, and yet we said, you know, okay, so over the course of this next year, we are going to start putting some things in place to, to go off into business on our own. We knew that we wanted to, to get a little bit further west, a little closer to some of our family before our kids, you know, wanted to, uh, if we were going to make a move, wanted to do it before our kids got, um, much older Too old. than they were yeah. at the time. And um, so we said over the next year, we're going to start making, making some of these changes. One of the first things we did was invited my in-laws over for dinner. We made dinner for them and then shared this news. Well, it wasn't super well received. And <laughs> kind of felt like I totally uh, became the black sheep of the family. And Well, not only are you like leaving the business, you're taking the grandkids. Like this is a major blow to the, to the family. So for sure. I actually, I have a much better appreciation now looking back and now that my kids are older, of like what we did and I'm, I'm glad my father <laughs> didn't shoot me because <laughs> um, I, I now recognize a little bit more about like how hard that may have been again, he, you know, treated me so well and, and did so so much for me and still does and but there was a period of time it was probably a you know six or eight month process after that um that i felt like i'd ruined you know the, that relationship and and yet it's definitely gotten better and we now are i think are back to the same which is same awesome. place we were um prior to that and it, again i think about him every day i, I besides you and this podcast He's one that I quote in our team trainings like all the time. So our guys are used to hearing me quote things that I learned from my father-in-law and things that I've learned from Brad's podcast. Oh, that's so, awesome. <laughs> um, but well, anyway, we've had some great guests such as yourself. So yeah, no, it's, um, but anyway, that, that was just all part of the process. What, going back to, you know, where we said we made this decision that we were going to do it, but take a year to actually implement this plan. And I think four months later, we were living in Colorado. So so why, so why Colorado? I mean, and, and not only just why, I mean, maybe there's, you know, a personal side of that, but I think more importantly, the complexity, I mean, I think about, I was forced into entrepreneurship. I've shared my story on YouTube. I've talked about it on here, but I just some life changing events that happened to me and here I am forced to start a construction company and, but I'm local. Like at least there were some contacts. I had no idea what I was doing to be transparent. I've been open about that. Unfortunately, you know, we, you know, hard work and surround yourself with great people and, Contact, I mean, that helped, but you're going to a new network where you don't have clients, you don't have designers or architects, like you're starting a business in LLC, there's tax. I mean, the complication, I just, to me, it's, it's not insurmountable. It's just hard to imagine going from Louisiana to Colorado. It, um, it was rough. I can tell you that it wasn't, wasn't the smoothest deal, but we also, one of the things that was probably the best blessing from my standpoint is my wife has been 100% supportive the entire time, you know, from, from that standpoint. She never questioned, like, this was a crazy idea. Um, and I did. I, at the time, I knew it, two people uh, in Colorado Springs. Didn't do any market research. I would love to say that I did. And, like, I knew the demographics, I knew what was going on, but it was, it was really just decisions that were made largely on feeling. And, um, we actually had, had made the decision that it was Colorado. We, when we decided to move and leave Louisiana, we narrowed it down to three places that we knew we would like to live. Um, Colorado, Texas, and Tennessee, Colorado and Texas made a little more sense because we had family in both places, Tennessee. I don't know why that was on the list other than I just always liked it. 
I love and, Nashville. Like Tennessee's great. There's oh, a lot of good areas. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, it, those were just kind of where we had narrowed it down and just felt like Colorado was the right place. So we actually came out and at the time I had my little brother was living in the Denver area and my sister lives here in the Colorado Springs area where we are. So, you know, again, not doing any market research, I was like, well, Denver, you know, think about Colorado, that's Denver and, you know, good market, good, a lot of people, whatever. Yeah, that's the extent of the market research I did. But we came out, my brother drove us all around town. You know, we came out for about a 24 hour period. He just drove us all over the city and nothing felt right. Just, I, I was starting to get overwhelmed by the decision that I'd made. Like, what did I do? What, you know, what is all of this? And we had made a, um, set a time to go just come down to Colorado Springs to visit my sister and go out to dinner that night. And as we drove into town, my wife and I both just felt like this was the, the right place and um, everything else, you know, so we made the decision. We moved here again. My sister was the only one we knew. So starting from scratch and moving to a, a new town definitely had its challenges. There were there were days that I was ready to head back to Louisiana uh, and I knew all it would take was one phone call to my father-in-law, which added, you know, a little bit. I always had an out in my head. And there were days that were super rough as we got started. Um, the, I think I've mentioned uh, before, I know I've posted a little bit on it even recently. There was one other guy that I kind of knew in town who was a real estate developer. We had a couple of years before we had helped my brother-in-law who lives here uh, buy a building for his orthodontic office. And so I called this guy, just kind of cold called him out of the blue. I said, hey, I'm, uh, here's my name, starting a business. Moving to Colorado Springs, I know you're in real estate development. You know, if there's ever anything that I can do, you know, I'll be there. And he, you know, it's one of those things in, in hindsight, I, I think that was a blessing as well. Uh, but he was developing the north end of Colorado Springs, has a ton of property there, and he was looking for a project manager to, um, to oversee the construction of a Bass Pro Shops. Well, uh, I was clear in my explanation. I said, Hey, I'm, I'm moving there to start my own business. I don't know that I'm going to have enough time. Um, so we actually made an agreement that it was going to be a part-time job. And I, I thought that he was the real estate developer and we were just kind of, kind of like a construction manager was going to be overseeing a general contractor building, uh, this basket. Yeah. Shop. Like an owner's rep. Yep. Yeah. Owner's rep again, part-time job, whatever. So that part-time job quickly turned into about 100, 120 hours a week. Um, cause we were the general contractor. And um, it was a super small group, a $24 million project that had to be built in 10 months. And that first year, while it was, it was challenging for sure, uh, but I definitely had plenty to do. And it, you know, again, in hindsight, it turned out to be a blessing. I got to meet some key subs, started vetting some, you know, that process. We also, at the same time, started construction of our first home um, here in Colorado Springs that my wife and I built kind of on spec, but we lived in it for three years. So it was, it was just an opportunity to, to get to know a different area. I mean, there, I can tell you a funny story on the, uh, uh, the first thing I had to do on this Bass Pro Shops was start putting an estimate together. And I'm coming from Louisiana. And, you know, when I build an estimate, I just kind of start, you, you build it in your head. And so you're going through the list. Well, I've got an item, you know, for termite treatment. And you know, I plugged in a budget for that and no big deal. And I was reviewing that with the developer one day. He's like, what is that? He's like, termite treatment. We treat the slabs for termites. And he's like, do you know where you moved? 
Colorado. He's like, we don't have to, we don't have to worry about that here. Uh, it's so dry. They can't live here where elevation's too high, all of that. He's like, so don't worry about that. Um, so that again, but you just don't know like territory. I mean, same here. We have subterranean termites. We have to plan for that. And unless, yeah, I mean, there's so much experience that goes into it. That's why your comment about moving to Colorado, I mean, there's just so much drastic change, you know? Well, yeah. And coming from Louisiana, I didn't know what frost was. Yeah. But, <laughs> frost in the ground. I'm a, I grew up in California, lived in Louisiana. Ice dams on roof, like whatever it is, you know? Yep. So, uh, again, just in hindsight, I look back and I'm like, all of those things give you experience. So yeah, I, you know, there are things you don't know. You don't know what you don't know until somebody helps along the way and gives you some information and and you, you know, take all those little nuggets like we talked about with the Builder 20. My entire goal every meeting is just to come back with a list of five or 10 things that I want to implement. Things as simple as I, I posted earlier this week, uh, Colby Construction prints their drawings. And when they have their final bid set that's ready for construction, they just print it in a different color. So they know, nobody goes back and looks at the, the white paper that they've been looking at forever. When they actually go to construction, they change the colors. So. And just, just looking for those little nuggets. Yeah, it's really smart. I mean, even just that example of changing the color. I mean, how many times have we all been on the job site and someone's building off the wrong set of plans? Or the clients called me and said, hey, Brad, you guys are building off the wrong set of plans. And it's not something we want to repeat, but I mean, it happens, right? And and one of going back to, again, failure is part of the process. I mean, I look back early on in our career and we had um, – a, a, an issue like and and again this goes back to kind of the plan example tom just these little nuggets of checking things and you just don't know what you don't know and we had a framer that we had bid they had bid the job they're going to do the project great numbers great we're in line let's move forward unbeknownst to us on his own you know here it's all turnkey framing which means that i'm not buying lumber trusses or hardware like i hire the framer he's buying it all that's how arizona market is it's kind of unique and the the framer had contracted his trust company and said, hey, I'm doing this house. We're awarded. We need to get trusted. They're all, oh, we already had the plans from another builder, right, that was bidding. Un, unbeknownst to us as the GC, we were never notified. Framer didn't know. He had a version that's like six versions old. I mean, it wasn't even close to where the final plans were. Builds the trusses. They come out and nothing lines up. And now, anyway, so I, I could go on about this for a long time, but it's those little things you just don't know, right? The QC checks to make sure that everyone's on the same page and you know how adamant now in our process that we have, you know, the trust calcs we're reviewing, we're checking mechanical. I mean, all these steps, it'll never happen again because we made that mistake. Yep, for sure. And, uh, and at the same time, again, some of the benefits of these platforms and social media and other things is that you now have the opportunity to learn from others experience. I, I have shared more than once with our team, the experience that you had where the trusses, you know, were six inches too high or whatever it yeah. was. Uh, and the fun that that must have been, the sleepless nights that may have uh, ensued from, from some of those things. And like, we're going to check all those details to make sure that we don't have to have that same costly uh, mistake on our projects. And yet we've had plenty of our own um, that I'd, I would be more than happy to share, but your podcast <laughs> isn't long enough for some of those. The, the funny thing about that is a couple months ago, Adam, who's my senior construction manager, he does all my pre-con now, he sent it. So we have like a group text, kind of company culture. We're texting each other all the time, like just, yeah, you know, updates, fun stuff, you know, memes, whatever. Just like it's just kind of a culture thing. But he sent one, and he said, uh, "You know, it's really important to make sure you build your coffered ceiling before you like lay your trusses down." And he had so because this house, we had to pull the trusses off. You see this house; it's totally framed. 
this beautiful coffered ceiling and there's like nothing above it, just blue skies. <laughs> like the funniest, like that would never happen except when you have to pull the trusses off. But, um, you know, we all had a laugh about that. Going back to Colorado though, I mean, you mentioned, uh, did you have a strategy built in your house? I mean, was that, and, and the reason I ask that is a lot of people say, okay, Brad, I'm starting out my company. Where do I start? And we all know that one of the easiest ways, right, is that you build a spec home, you work with some investors, you get some land because now you got, you know, boots on the ground, you have signs up, you have a, a piece that you can walk potential clients to that you're already building, as opposed to maybe just doing extensive remodels. And now you're trying to get a custom home you haven't done or you don't have in your portfolio, which makes it harder to make that jump quicker. Uh, I would, uh, it's one of those elements that I wish I had spent a little bit more time and, and kind of established a clearer vision for what I wanted to do at that time, because it quickly became um, just doing whatever I had to do to bring in some money to you know help cover some bills at home. And that's one of those things that I, I think I, you know, again, life lessons, lessons learned, uh, wish I had spent a little bit more time really putting that together. And at the same time, I think we all start that way. You, you know, take any job when you're young and, and you're just doing anything and everything. I remember taking jobs, which again, I'm grateful for, grateful that people, you know, took a risk on me and let me do some things. I know the first few jobs I did, I was doing trim work, doing a little remodel, doing all the woodwork myself. And yet I knew that wasn't what I wanted long-term, but it took a while before I really felt like I had a clear vision for what I wanted to do. And yet those opportunities just kept presenting themselves. So I, you know, I will say I'm not a salesman. Um, I'm not good at sales necessarily. I think I'm a whole lot better now than I was at the time, but building that first house was really more from my own experience. Um, granted, I'd, I'd had a ton of experience built every kind of building. That's one of the benefits I think of a commercial background jumping into this is that I wasn't afraid of any any of the changes, any of the different types of construction, all kinds of things. You know, we built all kinds of structures and buildings and different foundation types and, and all kinds of things in Louisiana. Um, but that first home just really kind of, one, my family needed a place to live, so that was part of it. But it was really just to, you know, and to get that experience. It was my personal residence, so I, you know, again, was able to get started kind of on my own. Didn't just you know, didn't have to bring in investors. Didn't do anything from that standpoint. And yet, it was kind of a jumping-off point. The next one came uh, from a lot that we actually had owned, and and uh, you know, my dad had helped me get started there as well. Who's also been a huge influence in in my life. But there was a lot that we had actually purchased because my sister was considering building. And then they decided not to, and we were able to sell the lot to uh, another client who became who I, I refer to them as my first official client. And we were able to put that home in the parade of homes uh, here in, with our local HBA, and that led to you know probably two or three more that you know clients that came through the parade of homes uh, that were ready for us to do something. And so that one project grew into two more, and then those two grew into three more, and. Uh, so it's just been a kind of a gradual, gradual growth. And, and, and yet through all of that experience is when you really, from, for me, at least personally, it's where you start to get that vision of like, what do we want to be doing? What do I want to focus on? I, you know, I can't go take the, the four or $5,000 laundry room remodel that I was doing uh, when I was 
you know, first getting started, just looking to bring some income in. Uh, now we can't even consider, you know, some of those smaller projects just because of our growth and where we are now. So I've had three guests now, you, Casey at Raycon and Utah and Mark D. Williams in Minnesota that have all have parade homes and the amount of success and how they speak about the parade. I need to recruit you guys to help us in Phoenix. We don't have one. And you think okay. of Phoenix, like you would have a parade of homes, but again, speak to the benefit just of getting, it's one thing to have your sign up, your building house, you have your first client on the lot, but you know, just the impact, the catapult that that made having a parade of homes and living, breathing product with people touring that. Definitely. I mean, there's, there's pros and cons to it for sure. It's one we've joked. We have not done what, what Casey's done where I forget. What we do one every year. He does one or two every year. One or two every year. Uh, it's one of those things where we do one and then we're like, okay, we're good for a few years. I, I, I now remember what it's like. The um, stress. Yeah. And, and at the same time, absolutely. There's benefits to it. Uh, it's not, we've actually only done two in the 10 years that I've been here um, in Colorado Springs. And yet, even if you get one job from them, it's probably worth the time and the effort. Uh, but construction is very much a, you know, touch and feel industry. There's, you know, if, if, if a client can see what you're capable of doing, it's so much easier for them to again, establish that trust, you know, be confident in, in what you're trying to say that you can do in a manner that's way better than you know, me just telling you, yeah, I know how to build a home. Um, take my word for it. But when you can actually touch and feel and um, see the difference, and and there is a feeling that you know, I, I think higher quality construction, just like what we just experienced visiting Colby Construction's home in Wisconsin, you can totally feel the difference between a high quality home and a, and a low quality home. And um, my standpoint, that's one of the things I think the parade of homes uh, really helps get your product out there for people to see. Our parade isn't huge here. I'm super familiar with the. I've uh, been attending the St. George, Utah Parade of Homes for a long time and some of the Utah Valley uh, Parade of Homes. Just yeah, you and I just missed each other a couple of years ago on the Utah Valley one. Yeah, um, just uh, again, it's just, I think it's invaluable uh, to have that many people see your product. For those of you that have listened to the podcast, you know how big of a fan we are build a trend and that we have used this software for the last four years. And many of the guests that we brought on the podcast are also build a trend users. And in this day and age, with as busy as all of us are in construction, as complicated as it is with escalation pricing, lead times, tracking, organization, all of us need a good project management software to help simplify and organize our business. And there are a couple features that we love a ton about Build-A-Trend. And one is the owner portal. The other is the daily logs. And these are features that we use daily, right? Half of my clients are out of state. And as an owner, it is so imperative how we communicate with our clients, with our team, with our customers. And through Build-A-Trend, this allows us that quick connection. They can check at any time. We can communicate with them. We're up to date. This has actually helped us win jobs, win projects because of that organization, especially at pre-construction. And Build-A-Trend also offers a ton of service on the back end, training and understanding and workshops you know, to help us use our software effectively. They also have the podcast, The Building Code. To learn more, head to buildertrend.com backslash AFT to get a 60-day money-back guarantee on your Buildertrend account. That's 60 days to make sure you love this product with no pressure, and I know you will. 
This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. They're, their company culture, their integrity, their honesty, you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. So let me ask you this. I mean, for those of us such as myself, so maybe this is your advice to give to someone such as myself, right? When we don't have a prey to homes, you know, and, you know, see touch feels really important, you know, how does a company or how do you kind of show what you're capable of doing? Maybe it has to do with your marketing strategy. I mean, how has, whether your marketing strategies, I know social media, you're, you're very active on now early on, like how did you market your company and, and how has that evolved in the last few years? I would say there are a couple of things. So in addition to the parade of homes, which again, has its own pros and cons benefits. Um, we have done a few other things that I actually think are probably as um, effective. It, one of the things that's really hard to quantify with the parade of homes is, is it worth it? You know, I've had, I've had people ask that. And it's just really hard to, to put a number to it to say, you know, we might get eight or 10,000 people through a home and get eight to 10 leads. pretty good leads that might lead to three projects. So as a percentage of the number of people coming through a home compared to the projects you get, it's a really low percentage. We've done a couple, you know, whether it's because a home doesn't fit the time frame, you know, you're, you're very schedule driven on the parade of homes. It's a, it's a make or break date. And uh, we've done some other things where we've just held kind of our own open house. Uh, we've, we haven't done it yet. We've talked about partnering with a few other builders in the area um, who, you know, have similar principles and values and saying, Hey, if we can all finish a few homes in November, you know, and maybe do a, a pre-Christmas like walkthrough. There are other opportunities. We've had good success with just holding an open house for a few days if the client's okay with it after they, you know, kind of finish getting things staged and things are looking right. For two or three nights, we'll open it up to realtors. And I've, you know, posted on social media like, hey, we're having a food truck in the driveway, come get free dinner and, you know, come walk through our homes. With, so it's a much more targeted approach where we'll, we'll reach out to some specific clients that we're working with or that might be on the fence uh, as to whether or not they're going to build with us and just be able to take them through, you know, have, have a few of our past clients there so that they can, you know, talk to them. Um, I feel like our, our past clients are some of our best resources in terms of, you know, being able to talk about their experience and how they felt about the overall process, as well as our trade partners. I feel like there's, they are in 
invaluable resource that are often overlooked, but they're working for multiple builders. And so they're a great resource for you to talk to as a builder to have them at those events so that, you know, potential clients can all, you know, get a feel for who this potential builder is. And if they, you know, client, it's a huge, the trust thing of when a client comes and says, Hey, I want to build my dream home with you. That's often, you know, other than business, they're, that's their biggest investment, most money that they're going to spend on anything. And they're, you know, you're, you're putting a ton of trust in that builder. I love that you share that. It's interesting. Cause as you were speaking about just kind of that, who you can invite to an open house. So I, early on in my career, it just triggered something. I, when we finished really kind of our, one of our, our signature projects that we finished and it kind of put us on the map in a certain part of town. And it was like, now she published this house, uh, Cambria, right. Cambria countertop. I mean, they, uh, looking at your vendors, what they do is that if, if the whole house is Cambria, which it was, this one happened to be, uh, they'll do like, they'll sponsor like the drinks and beverages, right. And mm-hmm. the food. So they'll do an open house. You can invite people. So our clients, again, probably similar to yours, um, were amazing. They're like, yeah, we'll do the open house, bring everyone over. And so again, everyone came and it was just the event, the atmosphere so different. Cause it's not like a parade where there's a ton of homes and you're just filtering people through, right. Look, you lose a lot of times. Yep. It's more targeted, that sniper approach, as you mentioned. I mean, as you're thinking about this, one thing I didn't do at that event, but I'm going to think about doing now with some of my clients, is you said past clients. And first, that's so big because anyone that's inviting past clients, they're your biggest salespeople. And even when this home went on sale recently, because we're building for them again now on their second home, like my former clients have known that house. So they're telling their friends, hey, this house is going for sale. Like, go buy it. Uh, you know, brokers and realtors, because they're connected. They're typically the first ones getting the leads on land. As you mentioned, your trade partners, which it's so funny because the the relationships with our trade partners are important because sometimes I look at some of my suppliers, clients will go in off the street and they're like, hey, you need to go with this builder, right? And so leads can come from them. And then, of course, your design and architecture team. So you can really target, you know, who's coming through. And we're doing one now. We have, so we've been fortunate to do Mark Law Liberté's house and then Zero House, who came and spoke to us, you know, when we're in Nashville, you and I, and mm-hmm. um, his open house is going to be right before Thanksgiving. I'm really excited about it. And we're going to now target a few that you have on here that I wasn't even thinking about, but I'm going to invite him out because to see this building science house and you know, that excitement and again, see touch feel, right. That's the goal that we're trying to accomplish here. Yeah, for sure. And there, uh, one of the other things that, um, I've, I, I think it was an architectural firm that talked to me about this once, um, of turning those into a charitable event as well. You yep, can, you that's can what do we're doing to, to drive, you know, I think opportunities to give back and to, to an organization, it could be a trade school, it could be, you know, any of those things that you can also turn it into something good and positive. You'll get more people in and they see that you, you're about much more than just building the home. You're building the industry, building, uh, building culture, building anything that uh, you can do to, to really give back. I think it goes a long way. So Evan Crow, whose episode comes out next, um, he spoke about this. Like he donates all the time in his local area. Like he's really active as in communicating, sponsoring, you know, kids teams and, you know, the school and other things. And it just helps branding, right? Because it shows that he's involved in his community. But to your point, Tom, like that we've associated ourselves with iconic, your iconic life, which is a magazine down here. And they're trying to, we're trying to fundraise $10,000, right? For nonprofit charity, which, so ticket sales, and you, there's a lot of things you could do that a hundred percent proceeds go to them. And then we provide everything else, right? Just a service thing. And, and yeah. I love that aspect. And 
you know, going back to the sales thing, and you made this comment earlier, I made a note, Thomas, that you, you had mentioned that you, you made the comment that you're a much better sales guy today than you were at the beginning. What's interesting, like you're a super personable guy, like you're outgoing, super knowledgeable. So it seemed like you're an amazing sales guy. You've always been that way. But maybe I relate it to me that I look at my sales process today in pre-con. And what I found is that like experience changes that, right? Like the, going back to the failures I've had where something goes wrong, I can speak with a lot more confidence now when a client maybe history is repeating itself and they're taking me a direction I know it's not going to work. So I think a lot of the sales process just comes with time and experience, you know, that we've all had to put in that time to some extent. For sure. And I, I think you you hit on a key point there too. I would attribute a lot of it as well to confidence. You know, you learn your process, you learn um, or you develop your process over time. And I think it's important to recognize too, that not everybody is a good fit. You know, when, when I think uh, in your recent um, podcast with Toby uh, Cornell um, talked about you know that aspect. Not everybody's a good fit. When you're first starting, you're trying to take every job, you know, just because you're afraid of you know where the next one's coming from. But it, having that experience and that confidence that comes over time, like I'm not trying to sell myself to the wrong client. I'm just trying to put ourselves out there. Like here's this is what we do. This is our team. This is what we have developed and what we're good at. And if you feel like you're a good fit, I, you know, then we're, we're absolutely ready to go forward. And at the same time, you know, we talk about the interview process that that, as you're presenting yourself, whether to a client, it's a two-way street, it's a long-term relationship and you want it to be the right fit. This should all be fun. You know, if not everybody gets to build these custom dream homes and the process should be fun. It shouldn't become this nightmare and that we hear about way too much in our industry. And so the, the sales side for me, really, I feel like I'm better at it now because I know what I'm selling. I know who we are, what we're doing, what I want to be doing. Um, and I know what our strengths are. I know what our weaknesses are. We're not perfect. I'll explain that. You know, I'm not, I'm not afraid to share some of that information. Like, you know, I've, I've told clients often too, we have no idea what your house is going to cost. Um, you know, we've gone to a total cost plus model. We are pretty detailed in our estimating. But nobody can sit there and tell you what this house is going to cost to build over the next two and a half years mm-hmm. because we have no clue. We have no control over half of it. Yeah. And in some cases, it may work in your favor. We've seen lumber come down, but at the same time, you're dealing with unknowns where things can go up. And there's, you know, as you mentioned, it's an estimate. Um, but what's interesting is the angle you took on the sales process, I didn't, you know, it didn't ring until like you explained it this way is that we all know that some people may, you know, have be born to be outgoing or they may have attributes, right? And, and that, yeah, there's some charismatic side to like selling a product, but the core of it, like the meat of it, as you mentioned is one, like I was kind of going down the road of experience, but you're even more saying not only that, but you know what you're selling. Like, you know, the product, like, you know, the process. And more importantly, you understand when a client's not the right fit, you're vetting them that, Hey, I don't need to oversell myself. And, and that's a key part. Cause it's one thing to sell us, you know, as a company and our, our team and what we're doing. But if we're not vetting the client properly and making sure it's a win-win, like it doesn't matter the sales process and even your systems to some extent, you know, things can go sideways. So how are, are there red flags? Like what are certain things? And maybe it comes down to the size of your team and backlog and what you can hold, but, you know, size of your team, you know, backlog, as well as, you know, what are some key personality or questions or 
things you're looking at when you're interviewing clients? Um, that's a great question. And I think one of my favorite experiences recently with our team has been um, just a, a simple exercise that we went through in one of our meetings to, we identified, um, fortunately, I don't have to name any names on this. One, but we, <laughs> we won't hold you to our, it. Yeah. Our top three clients. And then went through everybody just, you know, was, was able to share what, what made them our top three clients, who are your favorites and why identified a few personality traits, a few characteristics, different things. Then we went through the same exact exercise, like, okay, who, who are the three um, toughest clients that we've had and why, and went through that, that process. And that helped us identify some of those red flags. And so now those are things that I specifically look for is I, I typically handle the pre-construction process and and a meeting with clients you know early on and those are things that i'm now actively looking for to say you know what i'm watching how that client is interacting between the two of them because if they don't treat each other fairly well they're definitely not going to treat their builder very well so um just watching for some of those things and again we we kind of start our process with an actual survey you know that just gives us some information about you know have they built before that's one of those things that has been a, a positive experience with clients that we've worked for. And is this the first time that you've ever built a home? You know, are your budgets realistic? Are they flexible right now? They have to be. Um, some of those things, or if they're not flexible, then we've got to start at a much lower, you know, target because things are going to increase. There are going to be things that come up that change. Uh, so you're just watching for, for those red flags. And it's one of those things now you're, uh, I think we all, have that mindset in construction a little bit. Like if you were around for 2008, it's still fresh in everybody's minds. You think that I've got to take every job when really some of the best jobs are the ones you don't get because they just can become nightmares and not anything you want to deal with and kind of fall in the life's too short category. So just being able to recognize that and know that, you know, not everybody's the right fit for what you specifically have to offer um, gives you the confidence to make sure you're, you know, always trying to work for the right clients and, and be able to bring value to them. So why Lost Creek? Like what does Lost Creek have to do with, uh, with the company itself? Uh, that's also a, a great question. Um, and a little bit personal. So one of our core values is, uh, our legacy. It always has been, it's been something that's always kind of been, um, important to me. And, uh, the one thing I love about legacy is that it, to me, it has, and it brings different feelings and, you know, thoughts that deal with both the past, the present today and the future. Uh, when I was uh, deciding, you know, when I made this decision to, to go into business for myself and had to come up with a name, uh, my grandparents were hugely influential in, in my childhood uh, as well as my parents and um, wanted to, to do something that, gave me a daily reminder of them. Uh, and so my grandfather had a cattle ranch. My grandfather was a, was an entrepreneur himself. He had a lumber company in the Bay area of California and, uh, had kind of a, a cattle business that was a little bit more of a side hobby business, but it was a big business in uh, a ranch in an area in central Utah where he grew up. And the name of that area where this ranch was is Lost Creek. And so, it, you know, I, I grew up going summers there. We do old-fashioned cattle drives, getting out on horses and moving cows a couple times a year. And so just have great memories. Um, but it's, for me, Lost Creek serves as a daily reminder 
of that legacy that I come from, as well as the legacy that I am trying to leave for my family right now and my future uh, family. We try to instill that in the rest of our team as well, in the buildings that we build. We want these buildings to last. Legacy is that core value that just reminds us of, of what we're trying to do. We're trying to build something bigger than just, just homes. So how, any secrets or recommendation, I mean, building company culture, and this is something we've spent a lot of time on the podcast. I mean, it can be very difficult, right? Especially you have a lot of different personalities and, you know, you'll have training things. You, we're, we're trying not to kick all of our employees off a pier and say swim, like trying to figure out some process, right? So they can at least be successful. And then also the reality is just like you did, you went off on your own, you know, the, all companies, you may lose key personnel at some point. How, how do you instill a good company culture legacy? Because you, as you can tell, just listen to you tell on the podcast. I mean, you have this passion about legacy and hence Lost Creek. I mean, it's great to understand kind of how that name really plays into like who you are as a person and the brand. How do you instill that in the people that represent you on a day-to-day basis? Um, that's an element that I can tell you. It's, it takes time. Uh, and yet it also takes the right people. Um, that have that can share in that same vision and uh, and so not everybody's a perfect fit from an employee standpoint and th- there is some turnover and there's there's growth that comes from all of those things I think there's also an element uh, for me that comes from like there are things that I know that I'm good at I have strengths and, and there's things that I am terrible at organization and structure and processes is not one of my strengths and yet I know we need them. It's, that's one of those things where I can look back at the beginning and, and even still, there's probably a, a little bit too much that's in my head. And that has probably cost me some employees that like, I wasn't clear about those expectations and we didn't have defined systems and processes and even roles and responsibilities. I, I can actually remember. So when we first started, we were pretty small. I, I, you know, I was obviously very small when I first started. I was by myself. Um, and at the same time, the uh, Brett Dawson, who's one of my key employees, and has we've worked together almost the entire time that I've been here in Colorado. He, for the first couple of years, he was on his own, and and we just kind of worked as an independent contractor. He's been a full time employee for six or seven years, I think now, and um, again, just shared. We we worked together really well. Well, and then as we started adding some more we both realized that hey, everything we're trying to do is in our heads, and we've really got to structure something different. We um, I can remember when we first printed business cards, we did not have titles on them on purpose. And we, we would talk about, yeah, we all wear different, different hats and, you know, it's just, we all just do whatever we have to do to get done. Well, I've learned that that was bad. <laughs> um, we, you, everybody needs to know their, their position, their role, their responsibility. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Jim Collins and the book, Good to Great. Yeah, it's a great book. And his concept of, I forget exactly what they called it, but it was basically, you know, you get the right people on the bus and then you figure out where the bus is going. Well, one of the, that, that's how I always remember reading it. I learned later on, like, there's another key element and it's, you get the right people in the right seats on the bus. And yeah. so having those developing roles and responsibilities and, and structure of who's responsible for what and what those things look like, developing checklists so that we're not you know, making the same mistakes over and over again because we forgot again. And so it's, it's really, it takes time, takes, takes a lot of effort. Uh, you, you do have to spend time working on the business. You know, you, people talk about that all the time. 
there's a difference between working in your business and working on your business. And you really have to dedicate time. That's one of the statistics we report in our Builder 20 group is how much time did you spend, you know, or what's your average time per week spent working on the business and not in the, in the business. I love that. What's interesting and, and going back to the business card uh, example that you gave there, Tom, what's interesting about that is what I've seen and just the importance of that. As you think about title, not only does it, um, impact the employee themselves, right? To understand their title. Like this is my title. I remember when I came out of college, you know, and your superintendent or project manager, like you just feel not just an authority, but it's like, I, there's like a mantle that I want to live up to and, and honor that to an extent. Right. But even on the flip side, I've seen like Spencer, who's my director of operations with that title. And as he makes calls to clients that we have or trade partners or suppliers, he actually can get a lot done. And and it's not that the super camp, but just that level of accountability that he has in that title, same as me calling, right? As the owner that there, there is going to be a little weight moved around, if you will, that him making that call, it actually goes somewhere. And people are like, this is the director of ops. I need to, you know, make sure our ducks in a row. And so there is some authority there that's really important to that. So I'm glad you shared that because if you're all wearing too many hats, people will be like, does Tom and, and I, Brett is Brett, you said, and you know, they're kind of running around. Who knows what they're doing? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it, it leaves too many gaps because it's like, oh, I thought you were doing that. And yeah. Doing that. Who's and doing accounting? Yeah. Who's doing change orders? Too much of that, probably. Uh, <laughs> think about it more. But the other thing I think that's hugely beneficial is, you know, especially as we're we're looking to you know, reach out to hire some younger um, people right now to join our organization. But it gives them a clear path as well as what's next. You know, where do I go next from from here if I'm starting as an assistant superintendent? You know, what is that path so that, you know, maybe I can be that director of operations in, in 10 years or whatever that might be. So I think that's the other critical element of, of having good company and organizational structure that, um, again, gives employees something to work for. Yeah. And the, the last thing I'll, I'll share on this, what's interesting is you mentioned about just growth, right? And, and as you hire better people, right? It, what's interesting, one of my main mentors who passed away this past summer, Dave Clark, who I, was, who I had on the podcast, he would always tell me, and, and this is nothing personal, like anyone that's been here, but he'd always say, every time you hire, hire someone better than who was before. And it kind of goes back. He was big. He made me read that Jim Collins, you know, good to great. And it goes back to analogy, have the right person on the bus in the right seat. A lot of that's on us as owners to have the systems in place. Additionally, as we lose a key person, find someone better, right? And it's nothing against the person that left. But as I look at our business, like we have great people and it continues to get refined and now this kind of is your example on the sales thing, Tom, is that I know more about what I'm looking for in a potential client because I understand the process more. I understand the experience side, but also with employees, I understand the gap we needed and who I'm looking for. And so you have to use all that. So, I yeah. mean, just, just amazing information you shared, Tom. It, it's true. And um, I think the, on the flip side too, one of the things that can be detrimental to your culture is keeping the wrong the wrong team player for too long that can have you know a, a hugely negative impact that can can wipe out you know years of of effort to build that culture so you have to watch that i know uh, uh one of the seminars i attended and um, at the builder show this last year that the phrase that stuck with me was you know hire fast fire faster and promote fastest yeah i like that that's good i'm gonna have to remember that one too and to that point i mean i'm a big sports guy you look at these, you know, big football teams or basketball teams, you have someone that has preferential treatment or is not, you know, they may be super talented, but they can just kill the culture. 
and and it's the same thing to us as business owners. So outside of all the complexity of the business stuff we ran down, you know, today on the episode, Tom, what do you do for fun? Um, so I didn't mention I've, I've got five kids, um, not quite as as many as, as you, but, uh, they keep us busy. I love hanging out with them. Uh, it's crazy how fast time goes. Uh, the, I've got our two oldest are now out of the house and that's crazy. I can't believe that whole new element for me because I don't feel like it was that long ago that I left college. Yeah. Um, and so I, I love to hang out with my family. We live out some, on some property and have horses and raise some cows every once in a while. So, uh, when I'm not at work, I like to work. Yeah. <laughs> so like, it's one of those things that, you know, plenty of chores at home. So um, when you're not at work, you enjoy working on the ranch, like as if you're not busy enough, right? I do. And going back to even the, the uh, uh, talking about Lost Creek and the name and on our property, I built a barn that actually is kind of a similar model to the barn that was on my grandpa's ranch. So I get, I get cool. that daily reminder as well. But I uh, so love hanging out with kids um, and my wife. We like to travel. Uh, we, um, it's COVID started a new generation of our travel. We bought an RV and loved it. <laughs> we, we actually still haven't taken it outside of the state of Colorado, which is a great part about where we live. We can get some, to some pretty amazing places uh, here close by. So we love to, to get out and glamp. I'm not a tent camper. So that's one of the reasons <laughs> for the, uh, for the RV. Um, love sports, love uh, hanging out with, with family. Um, and again, so anything that I can do to, to help others as well. So. Well, I think you're the only cattle rancher I know that is a glamper. So there's that. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I'll take that title. So. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's amazing. So, uh, what do you? Very much a fair weather camper. So, <laughs> yeah. Hey, that, that's good strategy. So, what um, what do you uh, what do you have that's upcoming and exciting? And then also, uh, where can our listeners find you? Absolutely. So we've we've got some some really fun and exciting projects uh, in the pipeline. We've got some new architects that we're working with that we're excited about as we uh, kind of trying to step into some different markets. Uh, and, um, again, so work will continue to grow, uh, and again, just excited for the future, uh, of, of where we're headed. Uh, you can find me, I have a little bit of a love hate relationship with that whole social media thing, but, um, it, it has been a very good thing. I, uh, I manage my own Instagram account. So anything that you see, uh, on social media from us at lost Creek CO, uh, is usually me behind the scenes. And, um, also on, you know, our, our website and Instagram are our primary uh, locations. Uh, we're on Facebook and LinkedIn. I'm trying to, based on your advice, trying to up my game a little bit on LinkedIn. Uh, but, but anyway, that's where, where you can find us. And if you're ever in Colorado Springs, you can find us at our office, give us enough, enough notice and we'll have some fresh cookies out of the oven or some, uh, if you give us a couple of days notice, we'll have some pizza out of the pizza oven. Well, I'm taking that on at some point. So Tom, you've been amazing, man. I can't thank you enough for making time today. Oh, thank you, Brad. We appreciate it for sure. Appreciate all you do. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.